Radio Show, your home for car talk covering the latest news to the greatest views on the biggest names in performance, sports, and just plain cool driving machines. Let's rev up the conversation. Time for Driven Radio Show. Hey, all you gearheads and car fiends, welcome to Driven Radio Show, your weekly automotive happy hour. I am Brett Hatfield, here with my co-host and engineer extraordinaire, Mr. Mark Groves. That's me. We are coming to you from Driven Radio Studios, where it's no longer hot, it's cooling down. We got the windows open at night, and ooh, fire pit weather. Yeah, wearing a hoodie. Yeehaw. Digging it. Finally getting back to not, you know sweating from every possible <laughs> you mean we're body. actually getting fall in fall what? yeah yeah it's a, a what a what a concept enjoy it this week <laughs> <laughs> our special guest this week is steve natalie steve has collected sales brochures and matchbox cars since he was a kid he grew up around cadillacs and pontiacs as his grandfather was a longtime service rider for lawless cadillac and pontiac Steve has been an auto dealer, owned a Rent-A-Rec franchise, rider truck rental store, Mazda rotary engine repair shop, vintage car restoration and dismantling shop, a detail shop. Steve's done every damn thing you can around <laughs> cars uh, without stepping over the line of of illegality <laughs> he currently writes for several publications and is the host of the youtube channel in the garage with steve natalie and that has amazing production values i'm very impressed steve welcome to driven radio hey thanks a lot glad to be here and we're we're thrilled to have you how did you get your start working in the car world well, i've always been fascinated with cars old cars just Love cars. When I was a kid, I couldn't stop obsessing about cars. And uh, at some point, I moved to Saramone, California, and there was this uh, business called Specialty Sales. And it was a consignment store for old cars. So I started hanging out there. I started loitering, loitering around the place until they finally hired me. So I was, uh, I don't know, I think <laughs> it was like 16, to wash wash cars, just to be around. I just wanted to touch them, be around them, you know. And uh, in that same building, like about a year later, this uh, Rent-A-Rec franchise came for sale. It was in the same building. This guy just wanted to get out of it. He was tired of it. And I got a partner who ended up buying it. So I, I was in business for myself at, I think I was 18 years old. Wow. Oh, my God. That's so, super early. Uh, yeah. <laughs> for, the, for the uninitiated, explain what Rent-A-Rec is. Yes, please. Well, it was an alternative to renting a new car. So you could rent this older car for half the price of a new one. And so I had a 65 Mustang. I had a 65 Cornette. We had a 69 Buick Electra. I had cool. just all kinds of stuff, you know, a bunch of stuff from the 70s, you know, uh, all kinds of things. They built it up to about, I guess it was about 40 cars at one point. So basically um, you had a street scene from a Dirty Harry movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're all all old cars, a lot of four doors, you know. Uh, but I had a there was I had a six nine Bonneville convertible in there for a while, and uh, and then I would just drive. I love these old cars too. Yeah. I just drive them, fix them up, keep them going, rented them out, and then eventually uh, I was about half the price of what everybody else was. But then Enterprise came along and started renting cars for the same price, brand new cars for what I was renting. Oh, oh, that was dirty. That was the end. Of, that was the beginning of the end. That started tapering off, and so then I started doing other biz, other car related businesses. But uh, everything is a lot of things is cyclical. So uh, I never like 
I just, I just like, okay, roll with it. Next thing. Yep. You know, many of us car guys and, uh, and girls, car people, have tried to make a living with cars. You seem to have done about every car-related job there is, from dismantling old cars to doing marketing for the Black Hawk Museum. Uh, of all the jobs you've done, which one's been most rewarding, and which job would you rather not ever do again? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think I really, really like what I'm doing now, which is writing. I really like uh, being a writer and photographer. Um, it's actually been the most rewarding out of anything. Although I did like back, back when I was buying and selling cars back in the eighties and nineties, it was fun. I would go down to the auto auction and buy cars from the sixties, fifties, sixties, and seventies and resell them. And you can't do that. Now that got, that's cyclical too, because everything got so expensive that, Pretty soon, people were at the auto auction were paying more for cars than I could retail them for. Just yeah. got out of hand. So wow, that was the end of that. You know, it just became a retail outlet, and uh, that was fun buying and selling cars. I really had a good time doing that. I like restoring cars too. We like the creative process. I like seeing something go from junk to to beautiful. But uh, I guess I really do like do like writing. Um, I don't know if I do the the detail business anyway. That was only lasted a short time. Oh that man, that, that's I've had none of those. <laughs> but I like I like the clean things. So I like again, you're restoring something kind of in a way, bringing it back, which is part of the enjoyment for me. But uh, well, detailing really appeals to to those of us who are stricken with OCD. Yeah, I uh, just think of that. But I wasn't going to say it out loud. Uh, yeah. yeah, well, that's another conversation. <laughs> but uh, it is such tough work. And yeah. uh, generally for people who aren't willing, they don't realize what you've done, so they don't want to pay for it. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. so that didn't last very long. But the, the, the restoration part and the dismantling thing was fun because I did that with a, a good friend of mine. So that was a blast. When so. you were when you were uh, buying and selling cars in the eighties and nineties, where were you doing that? Out of my driveway, <laughs> here in uh, Northern California. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> uh, Livermore in uh, Pleasanton, California. Get some so colored lights on the front of the house. Put some colored lights on the front of the house. Get some pennants. <laughs> Pretty much. I mean, I was flipping cars quite a bit. It, it was this was before the internet. So you could just, every morning I would get the paper, read the paper, circle cars I'm interested in, track them down, go look at them. And I was buying a lot of cars, like everybody's chasing like Mustangs and 57 Chevys. I was buying Buick Electras and Cadillacs and, you know, Chrysler Imperials, whatever, that were a little off center. But I could buy those cars and I could still make a good profit on them. Yeah. And uh, sometimes people would be so thankful I want, I would actually want to buy their 69 Riviera, you know. Yeah. Now yeah. it's a different story, but you know, people would just, you know, and I'm talking, you know, six, seven hundred dollars buy most of these cars for. What was uh, your, your best flip or the favorite your favorite car that you uh, sold? Uh so I had a couple of really cool ones. Uh one was a uh sixty five satellite with a four speed trunk mounted battery, dual point ignition. Had uh, factory exhaust headers with uh, collectors. Had all this, all this trick stuff. Four speed. It was a really, really neat convertible. That was a cool car. And uh, I've had a whole bunch of Cadillacs. I love one of them. I think was my '54 Cadillac convertible. 
Oh. Uh, original paint, <laughs> original top, original upholstery, yellow. It was just a beautiful car. But and uh, you may I have to give Mark from... a minute here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I bought so it for a guy. I, paid, I think I paid. Uh, I paid forty five hundred dollars for it. Oh, you're killing the smalls. <laughs> and oh. I didn't have all the money, and the guy let me make payments of so five hundred dollars a month. I gave him two grand and paid him five hundred dollars a month. It was paid off. Oh my god, then, that's awesome. Then I, you know, I, in the meantime, I cleaned it all up, and then uh, I ended up selling it for uh, quite a nice profit. But uh, well, I had '66 Bonneville four-speed convertible. I had a '67 Cadillac convertible. I have. I had a '68 Eldorado. I had a whole fleet, and so can't keep them all. <laughs> no, you need a football field just to park them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's a big driveway. <laughs> <laughs> parallel parking, parallel universe. You. But, uh, I wish I could keep that one. You know? Yeah, oh, yeah. absolutely. Uh, you used to have a classic car dismantling and restoration company. Uh, yes. How did you get into that business? Uh, what What does classic car dismantling entail? I, I I could take a pretty good guess at it, but I'd rather hear it from the guy who's done it. We had a three-acre property full of cars from the 50s, 60s, and 70s. And we had we specialized in uh, uh, GMF bodies, so we had a ton of Camaros and Firebirds, and we were cutting up Trans Ams from the seventies. Uh, I cut up '69 Firebirds. The stuff I was cutting up was usually nicer than the cars I was. I was cutting up cars that were cleaner than the ones that were being restored. Most of my customers were on the East Coast, so I had nice rust-free parts. Plus the trim and stuff, and did a lot of Cadillacs and Oldsmobile ninety eights and everything, whatever people wanted. And so, yeah. um, so we were dismantling them. Then I had a retail location. People come in, and I had a little line of reproduction parts for F body and A body GM cars. But uh, yeah, a lot of really cool stuff passed through my hands. And then we bought in the cars that were too good. You know, to sell sell the unrestored to get them running and sell them. So I had some really, really interesting cars came through there. Well, and well, that's that's the next question. What were some of the more significant cars that you got to work on? Yeah, I bought a 67 Vista Cruiser with a factory four-speed, bucket seats, power windows, air conditioning, AM, AM radio, AM FM radio. It was loaded like a freight train. With a, and it was, I had the, all the documentation. It was a bucket seat four-speed station wagon. Dad wanted, <laughs> Dad wanted a four four two, but he had a mess of chitlins to haul around. That was pretty cool. I also had a seventy three uh, seventy three Le Mans two door hardtop with a factory four speed and a bench seat. That was another weird one. We had a lot of a lot of really interesting cars. So I had a ninety two Trans Am convertible. I bought wrecked and we fixed that. I only made like I don't know just a few hundred of those. A lot of a lot of interesting cars. I think about the tons of convertibles from the from the sixties. And seventies. Is it easier uh, to do a convertible than a coupe? As far as restoration or selling them? It's easier to sell, that's for sure. <laughs> well, as long as it's not a Porsche nine eleven, uh those sell for more new and then they don't seem to resell nearly as well as the coupes do. <laughs> yeah, I never really messed too much with, with European cars, just a very, very few. We specialize in American cars, what I know best. Uh since I've been a writer like the last 10, 15 years. Really got to know and appreciate European cars more now that I write about them. And I write about a ton of Porsches for the Porsche magazine. So, which publications yeah. do you write for? 
Excellence, which is a Porsche magazine, sometimes Corvette magazine, Forza, uh, Sports Car Digest. They sell them a lot of stuff. Uh, Supercars.net, Stuck Cars, what else? Mercedes Star. Uh, in the UK, I write for Rolls Royce and Bentley Driver, Jaguar Classic. Um, that's all I can think of off the top of my head. I mean, there's a bunch. How do you write in a British accent? Just curious. <laughs> well, smart ass. You, you do do. You do use different words like whilst. You know. Yes. Whilst, I, whilst thou drive thine Porsche. Of course. Got I it. do. I write differently when I write for British publication. Definitely use some different words. Same when I do auction catalogs from Europe, because even if the auction is in Germany, whatever they do it with a British accent there. Everything's written a British style. So it's a little different. And when I write for internet publications, then uh, I write with a SEO in, in mind. So yeah. everything's just, I tweak everything depending on what I'm writing for. You also write for auctions uh, and you can't say their name specifically, but can you give us hints who you write for? Like rhymes uh, so with? Major auction houses that sell very high-end cars. I think I may have uh, visited some of those sales. Yeah, yeah, they're typically they're all at they're all in Scotts always in Scottsdale every year. Mm -hmm. Most of them at uh, and Amelia Island in Monterey and yeah stuff like that. uh, You know, as as far as auction writing, I I I just tend to be a lot of my I have a lot of high net worth clients and stuff like that, so I have to use discretion and don't mention the company or the people by name. Uh, Yeah, I'm familiar, but when I write about them, I have to. <laughs> what was the impetus for you to start your YouTube channel? And again, uh, uh, I want to compliment you on the production. It looks fantastic. Well, thank you very much. Uh, I have a great executive producer, Eric Vibe. He just he's, he's amazing, and he makes all it. He makes the sound and texture and everything, the storytelling all come together, editing. But that started with uh, when we didn't get anywhere with the TV show. Um, the, the getaway. getaway. Oh, I wanted to see that take off that that first preview. Too, you know, and, and you know, there's always a chance it could at some point. But uh, we did that during COVID. Everybody wasn't working, yeah, and so we had the time to put into it because. And I had these video guys, and they they like wanted to do the show, and I'm like, nobody. There was, there was no way to make money. We couldn't. Nobody was making any money. There was nothing to do. Yeah. So let's do this. So we did, and then we pitched it, and you know. It didn't take off. And so what happened after that was like, why don't we just do a car show for YouTube? And everything on the YouTube is shot with on iPhone, believe it or not. Really? Yeah. It looks great. <laughs> I know, doesn't it? And, and it's shot on iPhone and then edited. And uh, it just comes out so nice. And we're having a lot of fun with it. So I, I can be, we can be a lot more lightweight and agile than hug, you know, lugging around big cameras and so forth. It doesn't have the richness of cinematic quality of what the getaway did, but it's still fun to do. And uh, I think we're, we're doing a good job. People are responding to it and getting a lot of new followers. We get about 120,000 hits a month. Nice. That's so pretty. At some point we'd like to get a sponsor, take it to the next level. Sure. But in the meantime, we're having a lot of fun. It looks great. I don't think you're going to have any trouble finding a sponsor, especially with that, that kind of traffic. You and I seem to attend a lot of the same events. Uh, it's kind of a wonder to me that we haven't crossed paths, or maybe we have and, and uh, didn't know it. What is your favorite uh, event that you attend? Is it uh, American or European? And 
of the events you hit, especially stateside, do you think any of them are due for a change? Well, my favorites, definitely Pebble Beach the whole week. Yeah. It's amazing. You usually go to Motorlux, uh, the Quail, Concorso Italiano, and of course the the big event, the Concord itself is just amazing. I was really hoping you'd say lemons. <laughs> I, I go to lemons too. You know, lemons is right next door to the Concorso Italiano. So I usually go, I hit the cars and coffee yeah. and I walk across the street to the lemons. Then I go, the, then I go up to Concorso. That's my Saturday. What is it? Yeah. It's a Saturday event. And I love that whole week there. I always spend a complete week, a week there every year and have a blast. Yeah. And, um, I have a lot of friends there that I see from around the world that show up. In Europe, I like the concourse at uh, Villa de Este. Oh, Villa de oh yeah. Como. That's that's just amazing. It couldn't be prettier. Yeah. And the, what I want to go to is a drain um, because uh, uh, over in Newport, Rhode Island, mm-hmm. the drain concourse, well, well, the drain museum. So Donald Osborne runs that, and he has impeccable taste and He's one of my favorite car people, and so he's been wanting me to go to that for that for a while. So, I think next year is going to be the year, and possibly the best dressed of us. Yes, <laughs> yes, <laughs> and certainly the best singing voice. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and what I the thing I the, I would like to see come back is the Tuesday on the Avenue. Yeah, uh, that was my next know. question. I was going to ask you about Concord on the Avenue. Do you think there's any way to resurrect it? I don't know. I guess the the person who did it unfortunately passed away. Yeah, he funded it. Oh. It's not really a money maker because uh, it was a free event. Yes. You know? So I don't know if there's somebody who wants to wants to do that. They've had Carmel has done a few little things. They've had little shows down there, like little mini shows, like uh, prancing horses. They've had a little Ferrari, a Ferrari show down there. They've had little things, but uh, they've dabbled with it, but. Um, I'm hoping it's something. Everybody loves it. I mean, every everybody loves that show. Well, and it, since it's they fantastic. did it on Tuesday, it kind of kicked off Car Week for you. Absolutely. Uh, there were other things that happened before, but nothing on the the scale, and nothing quite so cool as Concord on the Avenue is. And that starts the week, and then the auctions usually start Wednesday or Thursday. Yep. And it just, it's the first really cool event of car week. And I'd, I'd just love to see somebody bring it back. Oh, you and me both. I I think everybody would like to see it come back. I don't know. I don't know if it's feasible, but uh, I would certainly love to see that come back. Yeah. Talking about cool things you got to do in Europe. You just completed a trip through parts of Europe in a 1940 Cadillac series 62 convertible. Tell us about your trip. You know, I have, a, I have a friend over there that I actually met at Villa de Este a few years ago, and uh, he collects cars. We did a book together, and I did some writing for him. But uh, he bought this 1940 Cadillac convertible sedan and said, uh, why don't you come over? We'll just go drive around in it for a couple of weeks. So I'm like, okay. So I flew over there, and we took it down to Salzburg. He's in Lower Bavaria near Munich and we drove it all through lower Bavaria, then into Austria and the Austrian Alps and the lakes district. And, uh, just had a blast driving this car thing ran perfectly. Then we came back and I, uh, took his, uh, he's a series one E type roadster around that. And then we visited somebody with a, uh, Bugatti Royale. Wow. Actually the, the prototype, the prototipo, the first one. 
I'm gonna make a YouTube episode of that soon too. That's amazing. Visited a bunch of car collections. Found this huge collection of U.S. military vehicles in (laughs) Lower Bavaria. Just bizarre, you know. We found all this really, really neat stuff. It's just a pleasure to drive these old cars, but it's really unusual to see a big, giant American car in Europe. Yeah, it is. It is, especially considering the difference in price we pay for gas. And, you know, a 40 Caddy is not exactly the most efficient car in the world. (laughs) No, no, it's not. And then uh, it was just a nice original car. And my friend, uh, Michael Klebenstein, he's he's an author, too. He wrote the book called Super Fines on like the ultimate barn fine car book on European stuff. Um, we had a, we had a great time and he likes original cars. Like I do. I prefer cars that are unrestored original. Mm-hmm. That's what his, all his cars are the same way. They're all, they're all patinaed a little bit and just, you can really enjoy cars like that. So we had a good time driving this thing and we drove it in the rain. We just drove it all over the place down dirt roads. It doesn't matter. We just had a blast. Sounds wonderful. <laughs> do you collect cars? I don't have any cars. I don't have any old cars right now. I have a 2011 Camaro SS convertible. There's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. <laughs> That's start. the only thing I have at the moment. But uh, I just bought a different house here in Napa. And now I have an oversized three-car garage. So the third stall is waiting for something. <laughs> yeah. You can <laughs> almost hear the echoes in there. A lift yeah. is what it's waiting for. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, I, I got to get another old car. I, I will. But uh been too busy fixing up the house and then doing wine. You know, I make, I have a little vineyard here and we make wine. So pretty busy with a bunch of other stuff, but we'll Steve, get to it. Steve has a bunch of cool interests. He likes old wooden motorboats and old uh, vintage aircraft. And uh, the, the episode, the pilot you did for the getaway, uh, you're in a fantastic Garwood boat on Lake Tahoe. The whole time I'm watching that, I was, you know, trying to keep from drooling from both corners of my mouth. Uh, I love wooden boats. There's nothing like the feel, the heavy feel of a big wooden boat. It's just, it's magical. Can you tell me about the boat you were in in that uh, episode? What was it you were, it was a Garwood, but that's about as much as I know about it. Yeah, it was a Garwood powered by a Scripps V12. Ooh. So 1940. How long was it? it? I think it's a 32 foot. Triple cockpit. Um, so, you know, big boat. Pretty good sized boat. It looked like it was just perfectly restored. Yeah, it's a gorgeous boat. Beautiful boat. I think the boat's called 40 Pines. But I've been on a lot of vintage boats uh, Rivas, Garwoods, Hacker Crafts. I've been in them all, you know, just uh, had a good time with it. I've been in just about every type of, type of old boat there is. You're killing me, Smalls. Yeah. <laughs> I, I fish from in uh there's a website called Woody Boater. Mm-hmm. And every year I cover the Lake Tahoe Concord Elegance. Oh, that's cool. Send all the images and film to uh Woody Boater to share with the wooden boat community. Any idea so, what the average showing is there? How many boats come out? Uh about sixty. That's on pretty Lake impressive. Lake Tahoe's West Shore at Obexer's uh, Marina. And it's 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 magical. I mean Crystal clear water. You know, these boats are just floating in super clear water. You've yeah. got the mountains all over the place. Beautiful varnish chrome. It's just it's just amazing. It's 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 magical. Having a wooden wooden boat on Lake Tahoe or Lake Como, those are the two places you wanna Now Mark, when he's when he's talking about 
Lake Tahoe. Imagine the polar opposite from Lake of the Ozarks, which is like cruising around in a giant mud puddle. Yeah. Yeah, it is. <laughs> and, and keep in mind, uh, I had a condo down on Lake of the Ozarks, and my folks had a condo and a house on Lake of the Ozarks. We're only a few hours away. It was great to go to. But, boy, you do not find any clear water on that lake, period. There's too many huge boats stirring it up. Well, yeah. Uh, interesting tidbit. There are more offshore race boats on Lake of the Ozarks than there are in Florida. I believe that. <laughs> Which is, you know, uh, that's why they call it the Redneck Riviera. There you go. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right, Steve. Yeah. Final question. Uh, the one everybody always waits for. What is the dumbest thing you've ever done in a car? I don't know. Well... Actually, my brother was driving, and I kind of goaded him into it. We just bought the '71 Maverick that was hitting a bit, was hitting the rear, so it was a little crunched in the back. But we got it running good; it was running great. We decided it would be a good idea to go really fast over this railroad tracks. Guilty. See how fast. See if we get some air. You oh know? yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. We did. We did. We were successful in getting air. We <laughs> came down, we blew the front tires. And lost control and drilled it into a big tree. Oh Jesus! So hit it, that. Uh, you made the front end match the back with the bull on it, with bullseye, and just <laughs> the front bumper like this wrapped around the tree like this, and oh. it had two little car stereo speakers, and they the speakers were sitting on top of the package tree and landed up on a dashboard with a little <laughs> speaker on it. Still playing, running with the devil. Yeah, good times. Uh -huh. And it was. <laughs> Yeah, that was that was pretty dumb. As soon as we got out of the car, I could hear sirens, and I'm like, oh, this, is, "This is this is not good." How far off the ground were you? I don't know. I'm, we probably got ten feet off the ground. It, se it seemed like it. We, we just oh, it just, Jesus! Wow. You went Duke's a hazard on it, and then we came down, and the thing just then it dribbled. It just went boing, boing, <laughs> boing, bam. Oh, so yeah, that was that was pretty dumb. Although I've, I've gone really fast in cars, with buried the speedometer a bunch of times in in cars from the '60s, muscle cars that. Probably not a good idea to go. Oh, no, man. <laughs> Bias ply tires, four-wheel drum brakes. Yeah, bring it on. Probably, a crummy lap Probably not a good seat. idea. I wrecked some. I had wrecked my 66 Bonneville convertible. I had a four-speed tri-power. Oh, Broke wow. a trailing arm. Rear axle twisted inside the body and sent it sideways into a couple of cars. Oh. <laughs> Doing a whole shot, you know, in a parking lot. And none of these resulted in trips to the hospital, broken bones, stitches. No. No. You're no a, it just cost me a lot of money. Yeah, <laughs> you're a lucky man, Steve. <laughs> God watches yeah, every drunks in the young. Cars. Yeah. I've had everything happen you can think of on cars. I've had wheels come off, hoods fly off. What, you name it. I've had everything. Engines blow, transmission blows, drive shafts falling off. I mean, I've, I've done it. <laughs> Lots of this sounds I mean, familiar. Every kind of damage you can think of. Uh, I can think of an awful lot. <laughs> All I got to do is leaf through a few pages of my history, thanks. Uh, <laughs> I'm just... quite like driving down the road and seeing your tire pass you on the road. Oh, That's my God. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I had that one happen once. I had a 65 Corvette try to shed one on me a couple of years ago driving home from Monterey. Uh, that's interesting. You think, wow, this thing's squirrely. Maybe I ought to pull over and check it. <laughs> <laughs> We've been speaking with Steve Natale. Steve, please take a moment. Tell us where we can find you online and on social media. Uh, I'm on uh, Instagram, Facebook. 
Uh, YouTube is uh, In the Garage with Steve Natale. And then that's that's on uh, Facebook, Instagram, and on uh, Instagram. Instagram, I think I'm just Steve Natale. And um, your website? Um, SteveNatale.com. Steve, thanks so much for being with us. We appreciate you taking the time. Yeah, thanks. It's been a lot of fun. So that guy's done some cool stuff. Yeah, he has. You know, these stories about people doing stuff at 18, we keep getting them on. And I'm, I look back in, on my life and I'm like, my God, it's at, at 18, you know, start a business. No, I could barely grab my ass with both hands at the time. And, the, and I, these people are so well put together. I'll tell you about the Corvette shop that I tried to start working for when I was uh, in my <laughs> late teens, early 20s, and uh, how short-lived that was. <laughs> do tell, do tell. Uh, we're talking days. Oh, why? What happened? I may have asked a question about a car that I thought uh, had parts on it that may have come from another car. And the owner thought I was a nosy little shit and I should not be there. <laughs> Took exception to your curiosity. Mm -hmm. yeah, why don't you take your show down the road? Hey, Sherlock yeah. Holmes, here's a mystery. What's your next job? I've had enough. <laughs> I've had enough of your know-it-all BS. <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much for spending time with Driven Radio. We love what we do, and we wouldn't be able to do it without the support of our listeners. You can find us online at DrivenRadioShow.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Driven Radio Show, and on LinkedIn as the Driven Radio Show Podcast. Also, if you have a story you think we'd be interested in, or you have suggestions for the show, you can contact me at brett at drivenradioshow.com. I am Brett Hatfield from Mark L. Groves. Yo. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time here on Driven Radio. Driven Radio.